Hey there, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Frequency Teachings, where we hear sermons from Julian and Katia Adams. Glad you're here. My name is Jeshua, and I am the creative director of Frequency. And before we get started on this teaching from Julian, Seven Myths About the Prophetic, I just wanted to let you know about our online prophetic school called Vox Day. Vox Day is a self-paced online prophetic school where you learn the ins and outs of the prophetic from the basics all the way to how to live a prophetic lifestyle and see your prophetic words begin to change the world around you. We've already seen hundreds of students go through this course and absolutely love it. And we really want to invite you to this course because it's more than just a simple online prophetic school. It really is about seeing the prophetic as a holistic lifestyle. We've also created something called the Vox Day Online Community, where you can connect with students from around the world, join us for live monthly Zoom calls with Julian, guest speakers, and breakout rooms with other students to practice your prophetic gift. So you don't want to miss out on this opportunity. Just go to www.voxdeischool.com. That's www.voxdeischool.com voxdayschool.com. We would love to have you join us. Now enjoy this teaching from Julian. Hey friends, my name is Julian Adams. I am uh, a director for Frequency, which is a prophetic ministry really helping people engage the voice of God in order to bring transformation to every space in every way that God leads them. I'm also part of the team that is helping together with my wife Katya Adams lead um, a fresh church plant year in Boston called the Table Boston. Um, it has been so much fun seeing God add people to this little community and seeing um, our community becoming more and more prophetic and seeing some wonderful encounters um, with the presence of Jesus. Um, when I talk about the prophetic, I want to just give a little bit of a framework for you to understand what I mean by the prophetic. Sometimes we can um, make the prophetic so weird and mystical and out there that we miss the whole point of what it means to be a people who hear God and who prophesy or speak to others on God's behalf. And I'm hoping that I'll be able to give you some tools today that will engage and empower you to confidently hear God's voice. When I speak about the prophetic, I'm talking about simply finding God's heart for a particular person, for a particular context, um, and being able to speak that into that space um, in order to really bring a connection with the heart of God. Now, when I look at the world today, particularly in the Christian world, there are so many books that are um, focused in on the prophetic, that can give you all of the tools and the techniques, that can give you all of the skill sets to be able to prophesy. But I found that one of the reasons, or some of the reasons, that we miss out on hearing God's voice is because there are some core lies that we still believe about how we engage with God's voice. And so I want to equip you today, not just to be able to prophesy, because I think that's the easy bit. I want to equip you today to begin to recognize some myths that have made the prophetic ministry slightly mystical um, and has um, stopped us from engaging uh, as every member is a minister in the prophetic. 
I love John Wimber and one of the things that he often used to say is everybody gets to play. And I love that concept, I love that understanding because that is the truth. In the kingdom of God, we all get to demonstrate his grace-filled gifts wherever we go. And so I'd love it if you return in your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9. We're going to read to verse 15. And then I want to unpack some myths, seven myths, that stop us from operating in the prophetic in a regular way. And I'm trusting that as you see some of these lies, as you see some of these myths, you will be able to discover for yourself how God speaks to you. So 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9, let's read together. However, it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no mind has conceived, God, these things, God has prepared for those who love him. These things, these are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thought except their own Spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And what we have received is not the Spirit of this world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we might understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit. Explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolish and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgment about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of God so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. This verse is staggering. We often sing it in our songs, sometimes no ear um, has heard, no mind has conceived, no eye has seen, what God has prepared. It's one of those little promise box readings we often get that, that we can believe that God has got things that are so exhilarating for us, prepared, that even if we were to try and think them up, we wouldn't be able to come up with them. But the truth is also that this verse tells us that we've been invited into the place of thinking like God, into the place of engaging with his mind, so that the things that we could not conceive by ourselves, he wants to reveal to us by the Holy Spirit. It's an incredible New Testament reality that we all get invited in to discover the heart and mind of God. You know, the Bible tells us that because we're now in Christ, in Ephesians it tells us this, that we are seated in Christ Jesus. And by way of implication, that means we now are seated in the exact same place that Jesus occupies in Trinitarian intimacy. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are, are one, and we are caught up into that oneness by way of our salvation. And therefore, we get to overhear conversations that they have. We get to see what they see, we get to experience what they experience because that's what it means for us 
to enjoy salvation. And so the prophetic is not just an added extra, it's not just something that we kind of tack on to um, a ecstatic moment in a church meeting. It's not just something that is meant to um, give us goosebumps or meant to simply encourage us, although it does do that. It is meant to help us think through a lens. It is meant to help us engage with God's heart concerning the things that he has prepared for us. It's, it's absolutely beautiful to know that God has invited us into that space. But I found that because many of us have separated the world of God's spirit and our physical world, and we've separated them as if they're two different realities, we've missed out on the fact that God just wants to engage our senses, our hearts, and our minds so that his reality which is supernatural and spiritful, engages as it always has intended to be in union with this physical world, and we therefore get to demonstrate his heart to people around us, and we get to receive from his heart directly. And because we've not believed some of these key things, I, I have noticed as I've trained hundreds of people in the prophetic that there are a few core beliefs, a few lies actually, at the core of our values and belief systems that stop us from engaging in the prophetic regularly. And so I want to hit seven myths that stop us from engaging and living an empowered prophetic life. And the first myth is this, that the prophetic is only for the super gifted. Um, I want to I say right now, that is actually um, untrue. It's a complete lie. And here's why. Um, when we see that God is a kind father, he's a good father, that he wants to speak to his children, we begin to realize that actually hearing from God is the delight and the privilege of being a son or a daughter um, of God. You know, I've got um, two children, Ezekiel and Evangeline. They are the cutest little things ever. Ezekiel is five years old. Evangeline is uh, just gone four. And they are a bundle of joy, a bundle of energy. If I stood back as a father and did not engage with them in meaningful, love-filled relationships, if I stood back and did not engage with them in a way that connected to their heart, if I did not talk to them, I would be an abusive father. I would be an absent father, even if I was around as a towering presence. Yet many Christians live as if God is absent, as if his fatherhood just simply means a sovereign empowerment, a sovereign being around kids or being around his children, but not engaging with his children. I want to tell you today, the truth is because you're a son, because you're a daughter, you get to engage with the heart of God. You get to engage with who he is. Not only that, the truth is God does not celebrate our giftedness. God does not celebrate our so-called strength or our human strength. God celebrates our weakness. The Bible says to us through the Apostle Paul that his strength is made perfect in our weakness. Now, I grew up in South Africa under a 
an apartheid system. I have what's called a cleft palate. I was born with a cleft palate and a syndrome called Pierre-Robrin, which has impacted my speech. You can hear that I've got a lisp. It's impacted my ability to hear. Everything in my history has not set me up for success. But God loves to choose the weak things, the foolish things of this world, to confound the wise. He loves to choose those who seem insignificant and marginalized and on the sidelines and elevates them to a place of his purposes being fulfilled through them. And so I didn't get the opportunity to have a great education. I didn't get the opportunity to get a university degree. But I find myself in places of high influence. I find myself talking to PhD students in Oxford University. I'm finding myself hanging out with students in Boston who have more degrees than a thermometer. They, 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 they are super clever, yet I'm sitting in the place of influence, bringing them the heart and the mind. I find myself sitting in the offices of um, skyscrapers and billionaires talking to them and communicating the heart of God through the prophetic to them, not because I've got an education. And I love education. I, I, I believe it's important, not because I've got the skill set to do so, but because God's been so kind. But the, the weakest part of me, which is my ability to speak and my ability to hear, the thing that I've hated about me the most, growing up was that I sounded different. I struggled to hear people. I struggled to pick up on things. Yet that's the very thing that God is now using. My ability to speak and my ability to hear his voice, the weakest part of me, he is now using to communicate his goodness and his kindness to people. I want to tell you the myth that God only speaks through those who are super gifted, who've got big platforms, it's a lie. Don't believe it. The second myth is that it's hard to discern the voice of God. I, I want to break off these lies off of you. The prophetic life is about a relational connection with your father. He speaks to you. You know, my kids recognize my voice. They know the sound of my voice. They know what it's like. I remember growing up, my dad had a particular whistle. They had a particular um, um, frequency that when he whistled, Amongst lots of noise, we knew he was calling to us. And that's the truth of how God speaks to us. It's not hard to discern his voice. It's not hard to hear his voice. And the reason is that because you're a Christian, you've been filled with the Holy Spirit. And you are now designed and hardwired to recognize his voice. The problem very often is that we've not developed the skill set. We've not kind of like those old radios with the frequency dials that you had to dial into the right frequency to hear him. We've not learned how to dial in. We've not learned how to get our frequency right. And the beautiful thing is once you do, once you recognize that God wants to speak to you, once you recognize that God wants to communicate his heart to you through dreams, through visions, through uncanny coincidences, through words out of scripture, through um, moments of stillness, um, then we get to recognize what it means for us to hear God's voice. I want to encourage you, for me, uh, hearing God's voice is not this weird kind of Sean Connery voice that comes out of nowhere going, Julian, this is the Lord speaking. It is a very simple, um, still small voice. 
very often. It's the little thoughts that pop into my head. And in fact, sometimes they sound a bit like my own thoughts because God is using his spirit to communicate with my spirit and these thoughts begin to pop into my mind. I, I remember um, on, being on an airplane once and just getting a little thought about the person next door to me that they were super concerned about their son um, to do with his schooling. And as I began to talk to this dear woman on this plane, she said, you're absolutely right. How did you know that? My son has just been moved out of a special needs track into mainstream school and he's about to write his first exams and we've been overwhelmed with anxiety that he wouldn't do well. And in that moment, I get to minister the heart of God. I get to say to her, well, God's not dead. He's, he's alive in the person of Jesus and he's just spoken to me for you and right there on the plane she's weeping as the presence of God begins to overwhelm her. I didn't have soft playing music in the background, I didn't have like a loud booming voice, it was literally a little thought that popped into my head and most often I find God speaks to us like that, through that, through his scripture, through his word. I want to encourage you, hearing from God is so simple, it's not hard. You get to discover his voice in the everyday and in every way if your heart is postured toward him. One of the things I love about Moses is he's in the desert and he sees a burning bush. And the thing about burning bushes in the desert is actually those aren't uncommon sights. Um, it is hot enough. I've been in the desert in the Middle East. It is jolly hot, right? But the Bible says that Moses stopped and he looked. And as he looked, he saw that the bush was not being consumed. Sometimes all our world requires, all our ability to hear God's voice requires is a stopping. Because very often God wants to add his super to our natural and then it becomes a supernatural moment. When you're leaning into God, when your affections are toward him as your papa, he will speak regularly and the simplicity is to recognize is this encouraging is this scriptural does it point me to the loveliness of jesus and is this going to bless somebody else those are very simple engaging rules around the prophetic the third myth i want to touch is around prophecy is always sin focused and devil focused oh, i wish i had a whole lot of time on this the bible code the bible rule for the prophetic in the new testament is it encourages it builds us up and it fortifies us and comforts us the truth about the prophetic is that in the new covenant god is less sin focused than we think he is because he's dealt with sin on the cross all of the required weight to carry sin and to fully see the impact of sin outworked was done in Jesus on the cross. The difference between the old covenant and the new covenant is under the old, they were prophesying and seeing the horror and the pain of the cross. But under the new covenant, we prophesy from the resurrection of Jesus from the cross. We prophesy into the place of his victory that he has purchased for us on the cross of Calvary. That actually we speak truth in love and that does not mean we criticize, it means we call the Christ likeness out of people. I want to invite you 
that the prophetic isn't simply about sin focus and even if you do pick up sin, what we're supposed to do as the people of God is to look for the gold in the midst of the junk and begin to call out the best of people because the one thing I've discovered in over 20 years of ministry is people already feel enough shame about their sin. They don't need us to tell them more about their sin. They need us to call the best out of them. And it's as we focus on Jesus that we overcome sin. It is very clear in the biblical narrative that that which you behold, you become like. I wonder if the church is so full of sin because we've become the moral police of society and we've been more sin-focused and beholding sin and all of the error of sin rather than beholding Jesus and all of the beauty of his victory on the cross. It is what we behold that empowers us to prophesy from the place of wholeness, encouragement and seeing the best. Prophecy is not sin-focused, it's always Jesus-focused. Myth number four, prophetic people um, it has to be weird in order for it to be genuinely prophetic. I don't have enough time to talk about this, but I just want to say the gift of prophecy does not need the gift of interpretation. The Bible says only the gift of tongues needs that. In other words, the prophetic needs to be clear, it needs to make sense, it needs to engage people's minds and hearts. Paul, um, writing to the Corinthians, says, unless the sound is clear of the bugle, how will people know it's time to go to battle? For many of us, when it comes to the prophetic, we so emphasize the weird, the bizarre, and the strange that we miss out on the simplicity of God clearly communicating us. The prophetic doesn't have to be found in the weird and the bizarre. It can be found in the simplicity of our everyday. It can be found in the simplicity of what God does with us. I love what Dr. Jack Deere in his book called The Gift of Prophecy says. He says the Bible emphasizes the main and the plain. That's where we need to go. And if the weird and the bizarre happens, what we want to do is weigh that up and connect it to the heart of Jesus. Can I encourage you? You don't have to be crazy, weird and strange to be prophetic. You can be you. God has a specific love language in, in the way that he wants to communicate with you, your personality, your background, everything about you has been designed for you to hear his voice. Myth number five, if you prophesy, you are a prophet. Oh my gosh, I wish I had more time on this one too. We have become so fascinated with position in ministry, with titles in ministry. We, we, we tend to get weirded out by anyone who prophesies and then immediately we call them prophets. I just want to say, Moses cried out in the book of Exodus, Oh, that all of God's people would be prophets. And Jesus answered his cry in the New Testament at the book, in the book of Acts, as the outpouring of Holy Spirit came upon um, his people at Pentecost. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Let's be less focused on what we think a true prophet should be and more focused on prophesying and revealing the heart of God to others. The truth is, prophetic ministry or the role of a prophet is not... Um, defined by how much he prophesies. The role of the prophet is defined by how he or she communicates and equips others to hear God for themselves. And not only that, how they communicate about the kingdom of God coming on earth to help people reimagine what this world could look like 
if God showed up into their community, into their family, into their space. Myth number six, prophetic ministry has to predict end-time events and is somehow connected to Israel and world events. You know, the vast majority of prophetic ministry in the early church lived with an expectation of Jesus coming back very soon. They lived with an eschatological worldview. I believe this should be true of every Christian. We should expect the return of Jesus in our generation. In the book of, I think it's one period, it says that we should look forward to and hasten the day of the Lord. In fact, in Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, it's talking about what seems to be about the end times. And in that context, um, the writer says, do not despise prophecy. And I believe it's important that we live with an eschatological worldview, an expectation of Christ's return. But a biblical eschatological worldview is not about the church escaping and going to go find a home in the sky. No, 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 no. It's about God's kingdom finally coming on the earth and making all things new, making all things as God intended it to be. The prophetic, what it does, the true prophetic, it helps us see what it will be like, helps us lean into the reality of all things being made new. And we speak that into the situation right now. And that's what it means for us to be an eschatological people. That's what it means for us to bring the future kingdom in right now. We prophesy, we speak it, and we incarnate it. It's why we have multicultural churches. It's why we have rich and poor in the same church. Because one day, that's what heaven will look like. And so when we be preoccupied with dates and timelines and the Antichrist and the role of Israel and how it's all going to work out together, we miss the point of what it means to be end time people, what it means to be an eschatological people. And eschatological people are simply those who've seen something of the future kingdom of God, live in that right now, so that it becomes a provocation to those around us to want in on the kingdom. If your theology of end times, if your prophesying around end times causes fear for people, it does not fit the biblical narrative of building up and encouragement. The last myth is this, that if the prophetic is not 100% accurate, it's not from God. I want to say just very simply, the Bible communicates to us that we have to weigh the prophetic. The reason we have to weigh the prophetic is because we have to see if it's from God. That means there is a possibility that it's not from God. Under the Old Covenant, you were stoned not for false prophecy, but presumptive prophecy. The verse we just read out of two, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says that we have the mind of Christ. We no longer presume that we have God's mind 100% because we need one another to discern the mind of Christ. We need one another to weigh it up. Is it scriptural? Is it submitted to the authority of scripture? Does this make sense? Does this encourage? We get to weigh it up. So those are the seven myths that I find stop us from hearing God's voice. I want to end just very quickly before I run out of time with some ways that you can engage the prophetic. One of the things I want to encourage you to do is to believe that God wants to speak to you. 
to believe that he wants to communicate to you because you're a son, because you're a daughter. Ask him to open the eyes of your heart. Now that word heart that Paul uses in the book of Ephesians speaks of your soul, speaks of your ability to see, it speaks of your ability to imagine. God wants to harness your imagination, your will, your emotions, your affections to be a conduit for him to speak through you. Develop a love language with the Holy Spirit. Start off by saying, good morning, Holy Spirit. Talk to him, invite him. I often tell people the Holy Spirit is my most inconvenient best friend that I have. Because very often he'll, he'll communicate with me through my body, through sensations, through little thoughts, little words, little moments where he breaks into the humdrum of my everyday and interrupts it with the sweetness of his voice. The Bible promises us that those who are the sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. This is your inheritance. Now, I want to encourage you, as you break with these myths, you'll begin to find the prophetic work itself out in your life. The last thing I want to say about this, the way we prophesy and the way we receive the prophetic should always be done in community. I'm very concerned about lone ranger prophets who are not connected to any local church, who are not connected to any community because whenever the prophetic, whenever the heart of God is revealed, because we are imperfect carriers of what God might be saying, we need each other, we need community. I think it's Gordon Fee who makes the great point that sanctification is best worked out in community. And I want to say the prophetic is best worked out in community. Find friends, find community where you get to prophesy, encourage, and speak the words of God to one another and weigh it up together, feed back to one another, because the more you do, the more confident you'll become as you step out in the prophetic. Paul in the book of Romans says, I wish I could be with you so that I could impart some spiritual gift to you. And that's true of me right now. I wish I could be with you in person, so I could pray for you and impart a spiritual gift. I'm so glad that the Spirit of God knows no bounds, no measures, and He gets to do this even in a pre-recorded talk. And so I want to pray for you right now that there'll be a release of the prophetic. Of course, the overarching theme has to be love. If you don't love Jesus and love people, you can't accurately prophesy. So what I want to pray is for the gift of love to be released to you in an increased measure so that you prophesy from that place. So Father, I pray for those watching right now. I pray for a deluge, a fresh baptism of your love, that everything we do would be filled with your loving kindness. And I pray out of that, God, you would help my friends reveal your heart in every space and in every way so that your name would be glorified, your kingdom would be extended, and that people would come to know this kind king called Jesus. I pray right now that you would impart gifts of prophecy, that you would unlock imaginations, thoughts, words, visions, dreams, so that people would live an empowered life. Even right now, would you cause your beautiful Holy Spirit to rest on them in a tangible way, activating the gifts that you've called them to walk in in the name of Jesus. And so I thank you for my friends. Bless them, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.